you do make different LLCs for each individual property, you may have to make sure that you set up different bank accounts and that the rents are going into that bank account and expenses for that property are paid out of that bank account. Before we get into today's episode, I want to offer you a free service and a free gift. Yes, a free gift. You're a loyal best ever listener. You deserve free gifts. And it's from our best ever partner, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. So are you a landlord or investor who's self-managing? Well, if you're self-managing, is that the best way to scale your business? And are you fulfilled by self-managing or would you rather be doing other stuff with your time? Like, I don't know, scaling your business, scaling your portfolio, making more money, bringing more rentals, rental income coming in because you're acquiring more properties. If you want to scale, if you're not getting fulfilled by self-managing, then here comes a free service. Here comes a free gift. Linda Libatory, you know her, episode 714 I interviewed her about her best ever advice, talked to her about her company, which is the solution to your problem, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. They handle the phone calls, they handle the rent collections, they handle late payment reminders, they handle the lease violation notices, everything from the text messages, reminders, all the way to collecting the ACH payments. Linda's team will help you scale your business, whether you got 500 units or even a handful of units, go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. They're going to give you a free 30-minute goal strategy session. They'll give you free setup and the first 30 days free, mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Again, if you are self-managing and you're not fulfilled by self-managing and you agree that there's a better way to scale your business, scale your investments, then go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Take Linda and her team up on their generous offer of giving you a trial and a strategy session to see if it's right for you. Mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff. I'm joined by Theo Hicks. How you doing, sir? I'm doing good, Joe. How are you doing today? I am doing well and looking forward to diving in. So usually on this show, we interview top performing real estate entrepreneurs and other related entrepreneurs to the real estate investing field. However, with Follow Along Friday, we talk about what we got going on and what we've learned along the way. So how do we want to kick it off today? Let's get some just updates on what we got going on in our businesses. I can start today. So just refresher, I just recently purchased three four-unit buildings and we've had about a month, I think it's a month, this coming Thursday. And Updates from, from last time we talked about it, I talked to a lawyer mm-hmm. to kind of figure out how to go about structuring like LLCs and if we should have one LLC with all the properties in it or if we should have multiple LLCs for each individual property and kind of based off of the conversation with him, we decided to go ahead and make LLC for each individual property. Three separate loans too, right? Yeah, so yeah, they're all three separate loans. Okay. There's just two things at the top of my head that he told me that I didn't necessarily know is number one, is that whenever I want to refinance the properties, mm-hmm. I have to transfer the properties back into my name because the bank won't loan to an LLC. Right. So I, I didn't know that. So I thought that was, that was interesting. And 
I think he said he just charges like 25 bucks per LLC to do that transfer. So that's not that big of a cost at all. And then a second thing, <laughs> which I think is kind of funny, one of the reasons why we wanted the LLCs because we didn't want our names showing up yep. online when you searched. But I didn't realize that once the properties were sold to us and transferred into our name, our names are going to be on there regardless. It's yeah, just on once, these, yeah, so once, it's, once we transfer to the LLC, it'll now be in the LLC's name. So if you're sophisticated enough and you really want to find out who owns the properties, you can just look back to see for like maybe like a two-month period, mm-hmm. our names are on there. And our names are on there now. So I said that was interesting because mm-hmm. that's one of the main reasons why we wanted to make an LLC. Yeah. But our name's going to be on there. But for liability purposes, it helps. What about the due on sale clause? From my understanding, the way that it works, <laughs> I got this information from just kind of listening to a couple of people on your podcasts, is that you just do it. And the banks have the right to call the loan in. But according to this lawyer that I spoke to and then based off information I got from lawyers on your podcast, if you do it, as long as you continue to pay the loan and don't do anything against the lender, as long as you keep paying them, they'll be fine. So that's kind of what I'm betting on. If they end up due calling the loan, then we just have to find another person to put a loan on the property. So have another lender in your back pocket. Because this isn't like any legal advice. I'm not a lawyer. It's just what I've got from people I've talked to. The, that's my takeaway, too. After interviewing a bunch of people and speaking to lawyers, that's exactly yeah. what you just said is what I've come to understand it as well. Mm-hmm. And then one other thing, it's not a fully fleshed out idea, but my mom called me yesterday and she wants to buy properties in Cincinnati. Okay. She wants to buy like a duplex and then she wants to rent out one like long term and then she wants to live in the other one whenever she visits. Oh. And then she wants to Airbnb it out when they're not in town. And she wants me to obviously manage the properties. And so I know I've talked about this before about just kind of making her property management company. Mm-hmm. But I might do that just for managing her properties. And I was thinking, you know, I'll have to ask some people in bigger pockets or if you don't have any information on this, but do people that make their own property management companies, would I be able to make like an LLC, like let's just say I have picked acquisitions, that'll be my property management company. Mm-hmm. And then that's where I collect all the rents from all the properties mm-hmm. that I have that I own and my mom would end up buying. And then take like a 10% fee for the LLC and distribute the rest of the money to the LLC that own the individual properties. That sounds like a tax question. Yes. I was thinking about it from a tax perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know the best way to do it. I mean, certainly there might be some legal implications too in terms of commingling and making you know, sure that everything's isolated and not piercing the corporate bail, that sort of thing with your entities. Mm-hmm. I would first talk to an accountant. Yeah. About that. So that's what I plan on doing. Just an idea that I had. I have one other thing that I'm thinking of right now that the lawyer did tell me. I think it's pretty obvious, but just in case people didn't know this, if you do make different LLCs for each individual property, you may have to make sure that you set up different bank accounts and that the rents are going into that bank account and expenses for that property are paid out of that bank account. Because if you just make three LLCs, but then just like collect the money in your one bank account or you don't have the paperwork set up correctly, then if something were to happen and one of those properties were to you know, have some sort of lawsuit against it and that person's lawyer could say, well, hey, this person's kind of just has these LLCs but is not necessarily using them properly. Therefore, we should have access to everything because that's how it's being ran. So that was something that I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But don't, maybe don't necessarily think about. So I'm going to go to the bank today and set up all three different bank accounts and start collecting rent that way starting next month just because I don't want to have it go on to two months and maybe three months of me not doing it properly. So 
That's something else that I learned too. Yeah, there's all sorts of things like that where you have to keep things separate. You can't mix it with your personal account, obviously, and you have to treat each of them as their own company, basically, mm-hmm. and just pretend that you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company called Theo's LLC A, Theo's LLC B, and C, and you're a CEO for each of those three, and just keep it all separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm starting to understand why, because I remember before we've done shows and you saying how you have to be a bookkeeper, and I think I understand what you're talking about now. Because <laughs> once you've got nine, ten LLCs, with money coming in from properties, and different expenses going out from each individual LLC, bank account, oh. and you got to pay out investors, and all these things going on, I don't know how... You do the track that without having to spend <laughs> time in a hospital yeah. after a stroke or a heart attack. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. We've talked about that before. I've had a family member have serious health problems because he was trying to do all of it himself. Mm-hmm. And that won't happen. I might have health problems. I guarantee it won't because I'm doing my own bookkeeping. Awesome. Okay. That's all I got. What about you? Well, headed to Dallas tomorrow to oversee our portfolio one have a meeting with a potential investor big investor would be the biggest investor Mm -hmm. to date two they're flying in from la and then three you're looking at a deal that we are very close to hearing if we're going to be awarded it or not so three purposes for the trip to Dallas will be a very quick trip. And then in addition, reading Sam Zell's book on, what is it called? Am I being too subtle? Okay. Very, very good book. Highly recommend it. I'm probably 25% of the way through the book. And he talks about how he does not like development at all because there are multiple entry points for mistakes to come into the deal. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you buy an existing property, then you've got entry points for mistakes to come in, but just way too many variables for development. The change of winds with the market itself, the replacement of a local board member for the county who then wants to change how things are zoned. Mm-hmm timelines that might get pushed back which result in major dollars construction loans he just doesn't like them and it reinforces what i've been saying ever since i tried a underwriting a development deal about three four years ago spent nine months on it didn't ever put it under contract and was like this is just one too much of a learning curve for me that's for dang sure but then two there's just so much can go wrong And why do that? And he mentions in the book, he's convinced that 50% of the reason why developers do development is for cash flow. The other 50% is just because they like seeing things from the ground up being built. And I'm not that guy. I can get significance through other methods. And I'm glad people are developers. I'm glad that there's an appetite for development and I respect that. I don't want to do it. Unless there's some way to insulate myself Mm -hmm. and whoever I bring with me from the majority of the risk so that it's similar risk but greater returns to buying a property that it currently exists. What's the book called again? Am I Being Too Subtle? Okay, and is it all about 
development. That's just one small snippet. It's about his career. Okay. He talks about his family escaping the Nazis when he was not born, actually, and them making the trek. I forget exactly where. I want to say from Poland. Okay. All the way to Japan, spent some time in Japan for a little while, and then eventually made it to Chicago. I've gotten to the point where he was in college, did some deals, actually bought these housing <laughs> lots, and bought 10 or 12 of them that were in a row, mm -hmm. and then sold that to a developer who developed student housing at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And apparently it's still there today. And then you know, he went to law school, and now I'm, I'm at the point where he's made it, but it's still growing. This guy sounds familiar. Did you interview him on the podcast? No. He's a billionaire many times over. I was actually not too familiar with him okay. until someone recommended mm -hmm. him on the podcast. I think someone was reading the book, and I was okay. like, oh, that sounds good. So I bought it immediately, and now I'm starting to read it. He's a well-known guy, okay. I believe, like Mark Cuban-esque type of wealth, I believe. I'm not too familiar with him. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Any other updates? Uh, no, I think that's it. Uh, one last thing, and then we'll get into questions. From a mindset standpoint, I'm listening to a book called The In-Between by something Goins, G-O-I-N-S. I forget his first name. And it talks about a philosophy that I, I have had, and it just reinforces it, and that is to embrace the time that we have in between our milestones in life because we tend to live in a life of expectancy and the challenge with that is the things that occur that we're waiting to occur they happen in a smaller amount of time than the long period of time leading up to it so to live the in-between time more mm. basically be present in the moment more it's the name of the game and the one phrase I don't like, and I just kind of call people out on it when I hear it, is I can't wait for. And the reality is I'm just enjoying the present moment. And certainly I'm going to enjoy when something else comes, like we close on a large deal or a wedding happens or whatever, anniversary. But instead of I can't wait, I can wait. And I'm going to enjoy the process while I wait. And I think I know that ties directly towards our goals as real estate entrepreneurs, we want big things in our business. Best of listeners, you're listening to this podcast because you want to continue to grow your real estate endeavors in whatever capacity that you're growing it. And the challenge or the thought I would have about as you go along your journey is to enjoy the process and be present in the moment as much as possible because those moments are the moments that we spend the majority of our time in. Yeah. So why not enjoy them? That's good advice. Got a lot of questions. We got a lot of questions today. So all on apartment syndication, right? They're basically all on apartment syndication. Okay. And the one at the end that's about work-life balance. Let's go through these. So these are from David. So thanks for submitting these. The first question we've got is, what cap rates, entry and edric, entry and edric, entry and edric, exit, <laughs> NOIs, cash on cash returns, and vacancy rates do you target and why? Okay. What cap rates... Entry and exit NOIs, cash on cash returns, and vacancy rates to target. As far as the cap rates go, at least five, maybe slightly lower. But really, here's the point about cap rates. 
I want to use two extreme examples. If I buy a 12-unit apartment building in the East Village in Manhattan, and it's a two-cap versus a 12-cap on the outskirts of Oklahoma City, and it's a 100-unit, which deals better? I don't know. The reason why is because what's the business plan for that particular deal? We get so caught up on cap rates on the entry, but if the East Village 12-unit apartment building on a two-cap has a business plan where you can increase rents by $5,000, then that beats the heck out of a 12-cap on the outskirts of Oklahoma City. It beats it if it's in downtown Oklahoma City or downtown Dallas. Give me the 12-unit building where I can just grow the rents exponentially over the next 12 months. Now, it's not likely you'll find that in East Village, obviously, but I, I say that to make an example. So I don't really get caught up on the entry cap rates. And I interviewed Brian Burke, B-U-R-K-E. He does what I do for his company, Praxis. He's a great guy. Search Brian Burke, B-U-R-K-E, Joe Fairless, and listen to his interview. He talks about cap rates, and he has a similar philosophy. And I actually learned a lot from him in that interview, and we apply it in our business. So as far as the cap rates, what we want to make sure we do is we are competitive on the going in cap rate with the market because we always project, and this goes to your second part of the question, your exit cap, we always project the cap rates will be worse on the exit. That's a really important point. We always think the market will be worse when we sell than when we buy. Therefore, if we buy at, say, a five cap, then we're going to project the exit will be at a five and a half or maybe a 5.75 or a six cap because then we're being conservative on the exit. Now, do I know what the cap rate will be in five years when we exit? Heck no. I don't have a clue what it will be in five years. But what we can do is we can project that it will be worse. So that's the takeaway. Not necessarily what is the exact cap rate, but that one, we want to buy at a competitive cap rate based on where the market is. And then two, we want to project an exit at a worse cap rate, so a higher cap rate whenever we exit. The second part of this, how do you calculate the value of a property based on the numbers? NOI divided by cap rate is the property value. There's a whole lot of underwriting <coughs> and asterisks that go into that because if everyone were to evaluate the property the same exact way, then everyone have the same exact price point and no one would ever buy a deal. There'd be a tie on every single deal. So what we do is we go based off of our knowledge of the market, our knowledge of the sub-market, operations. We consult our property management partner, make sure that the underwriting's tightened up, and we have a very, very, very clear picture of what the rent comps are and what the opportunity is in the market. If you want to know how you value a property, just Google that, how do I value property apartment building, and they're going to tell you NOI divided by the cap rate, but there's a lot more to it than that. And some of the things I mentioned are factors. As far as cash on cash returns go, we always look for a limited partner return. So we have a general partnership, limited partnership, limited partnership, investors, general partnership, myself, Frank, Ashcroft, etc. We want to target at least a 16% internal rate of return. You ask cash on cash return, but I'm giving you internal rate of return because that's what we look at. We have at least 16% internal rate of return over five years. 
then that initially qualifies for what we're looking mm-hmm. for. Vacancy rates? Oh, vacancy rates. We buy stabilized cash flowing properties, so we'll want a vacancy rate at no more than 10%. Second question. What kind of neighborhoods do you target and why? Blue collar, primarily. And the reason why is because that tends to be Class B properties, and Class B properties tend to be the ones that we buy most. And the reason why is because they have the most value-add components to them. I'd say we've talked about market many times. Job diversity, job growth, population growth, and looking at supply and demand. So... Can you send me your money raising spreadsheet and property analysis spreadsheet? Money raising spreadsheet, best ever listeners, everyone has access to. You just email info, info, at joefairless.com, and Samantha will send you the money raising spreadsheet. <coughs> and that money raising spreadsheet is a spreadsheet where you can literally track your investors, and it has different sections, and there's a whole methodology for how mm-hmm. to do it. So info at joefairless.com. Property analysis spreadsheet, I don't think we have that. You might be referring to the single-family home analysis that I created mm-hmm. whenever I first got started. So it's rough, but it was useful. I have homes that I, I still own, and I use with that. Very conservative. Basically, I wanted the property to cash flow at least $100 a month. I wanted at least $10,000 in equity in it, and I wanted to spend less than $1,000 to get it moving ready. I don't know if I necessarily have that $1,000 criteria anymore because I know now that you get more value when there's more work to be done Mm -hmm. with the property. But if you want that too, just ask for the single family home analyzer and you can get that. Okay. And you ask for it by emailing info at joefairless.com. Would you use Reg D SEC rules for deals under $1 million? I believe you're referring to if would I register a deal as a security if it was for under a million. And first off, talk to a securities attorney, not me, not Theo. But my thought is if it's a security, you obviously have to register it. No ifs, ands, and buts. It doesn't matter the dollar amount. Now, a attorney might give you a better approach for how to structure it so that you don't have to go through the process. For example, they, he or she might say, or recommend doing a joint venture versus creating a security by having investors invest in your deal and expect to make money based on your expertise and be passive. But talk to a securities attorney about that. My overall thought is if it's a security, then yes, it needs to be registered. Are you interested in investing in the Florida market or know someone who is? Not right now, no. And the reason why I'm not interested in the Florida market is because I'm focused on Right now, Dallas, Fort Worth, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And we're doing really well in DFW. So that's our focus. I get tons of deals regularly from all over because of this podcast. We do look at them, but we've disqualified all of them for various reasons. But we are focused on DFW. Do I know someone who is? I'm sure a lot of people are. One thing I recommend doing is joining our Facebook community. It is Best Ever Show Community. Just search in Facebook, Best Ever Show Community. 
it's a fun community, number one. Number two, and the reason why it's fun is we're posting hypothetical situations. Get a million dollars a year, work 50 plus hours, or how about 500,000, work 10 to 20 hours, something like that. In addition, a bunch of other exclusive stuff. So best ever show community, go on there and introduce yourself and say, I'm looking to buy in Florida. Anyone else want to buy in Florida and maybe connect with someone? Uh, the next question was, would you buy a newly built apartment community? Sure, I'd be open to it, but we're value-add investors, so there needs to be value-add component or components to that newly built community, which most likely there will not be, unless the developer has newly built it, but not leased it up all the way, and the value-add is that they're pricing it based on it not being fully leased, and then we can take it over and then fully lease it up. Unlikely scenario unless the developer's in trouble. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the newest property we bought is in the early 2000s. And then David's last question is, would you mind being my sponsor for my first deal? I'm a licensed real estate agent and I've done wholesaling. I know a lot about analyzing properties as I've been trained in commercial real estate, but I don't know it all. I don't know it all either, my friend. (laughs) That's why I do this show and that's probably why you're listening I won't be your sponsor for your first deal. I get this question frequently, and so much so I have a FAQ section on my website when you go to the contact Joe. There's an FAQ section, and it's one question. This is the question because it gets asked so (laughs) regularly. I appreciate you asking, but no, I can't do it because I'd be pulled in perhaps literally 100 different directions over the course of six months. Therefore, what I recommend doing is going to the Best Ever Show community, talking about what you got going on. Additionally, I do partner with my clients in my private consulting program. You can go look up that at my website, the Work With Joe section. Other than that, those would be my Mm -hmm. two approaches for you for trying to get a sponsor and a deal done. So that wraps up David's questions. A couple other questions submitted by John. The first one is, I understand your company finds funds, but how are you making money without putting in a ton of your own money? I'll answer this question directly. We put in at least $100,000 of our own money on every deal, number one. So we're investing alongside our investors. Our money is treated the same way investor money is treated on the deal. So that's one thing. And I consider that a lot of money. Yeah. However, relatively speaking, when we're bringing equity checks of $9 million, $7 million regularly, 100000 relative to that amount is a smaller percentage. So how do we make money? One is just by investing alongside investors. Two is acquisition fee and asset management fee. And then our ownership in the deal. So acquisition fee is typically... of the purchase price. And so, for example, if it's a $10 million property, then what would that be? $200,000 closing. Second, as I mentioned, asset management fee, which is typically 2% of the collected income that's paid out every month. And then three would be just our ownership in the deal. We tend to do 70-30 deals with a 8% preferred return to investors. So investors receive the first 8% based on what they invested in. And then anything above that would be split 70-30. 70% to limited partners, 30% to us as general partners. And could you use that acquisition fee to be the equity in your deal? Is that possible? Yeah. For the same deal or for the next deal? Either one. Okay. 
Uh, John's second question. I really like this question. Yes, what was the balance between your full-time and real estate when you started out, and how did that progress into today? So I kind of look at this as a work-life investing balance when you're kind of just in your corporate job, starting to do real estate, and you haven't accumulated enough properties or have enough things to do in order to quit your job and do it full-time. So you're kind of at that point where you're working full-time at your job, mm-hmm. full-time at investing, and you have a life. How did you handle that? Well, I sampled life experiences, as I like to call it, when I had my full-time job. I had a class I was teaching in New York City on how to invest in out-of-state in cash-flowing markets because I was doing the same thing I was buying in Dallas at the time. So I was teaching others because I had so many people ask me, you're a real estate investor. I know you work in advertising because you work at the same company I work at. How are you able (laughs) to do this? And so I created this class. So I'll talk about what I, all I was doing, and then I'll talk about how I balanced it, which really wasn't balance. It was just doing it all. <laughs> so one, I had my full-time job at advertising agency, which was about 50 hours, maybe 55 hours a week on average. Two was that I was teaching that class. I taught it probably once every couple weeks, and that was in the evening. Three, I did stand-up comedy for two shows, One of them, I've mentioned before, is shut down. The venue is actually shut down. Because Um, of you or just... I just... (laughs) All the above. And the reason why it wasn't because I wanted to be a comedian is because I wanted to get better at public speaking. And they said, improv is good, but if you want to be really good at public speaking, do stand-up comedy because the audience has higher expectations Mm -hmm. for comedians versus improv actors. What else I did? I also was babysitting or manning on the side. I did that on every Sunday for a family. The child had special needs, and I did that. I'd take him to Central Park from, I think, 2.30 to 5.30 every Sunday for a year or two. And that was to make it money on the side. I worked at a daycare in college, so it's kind of natural transition. And I did some other things. I can't remember all of them right now. So how did I balance my full-time job with real estate? I just prioritize it. It's not about balancing. It's about, is this a priority for you? If it is, then life tends to move out of the way and your priorities come to the surface. It's tough to balance things. I mean, balancing is hard in general, right? Just try and balance something on your nose. It's tough, right? But if you make it a priority to do something, then you do it. And that's my suggestion for anyone who's thinking about how do I balance stuff. Just write down on a piece of paper, one to five, what are your priorities? And then do your life based on those priorities. Family, spiritual, health, business, whatever it is. And then based on that, live your life that way. And then perhaps within business, do a subcategory. Mm. Because I imagine, I would think, health should be at the top, not at the very top, but depending on your priorities, maybe spiritual, maybe health, (laughs) whatever. But my point is, I don't think business is number one. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it's down the ladder a little bit. Well, within business, do subcategories. Okay, within business, what's most important? Is it my full-time job? Is it getting promoted at my full-time job? If so, then I'm going to put my extra focus here. Is it... Getting out of my full-time job? Okay, then I'm going to put identifying ways to get out of my full-time job at the top. 
and then my full-time job. And then you just live your life based on your priority. That's what I've done. A lot of people ask me questions that are similar to this and all roads lead back to, hey, there's a way to do it. Other people have done it before you. We're not recreating the wheel in any form or fashion. That's why you've got over a thousand interviews to listen to experts who I've interviewed. And it's just a matter of how much of a priority is it for you. That's really good advice. And just one thing to add to that, because you're like me, I'm the kind of person that I've, let's see how I put this. I guess maybe even neurotic would be the term, whereas if I don't have things written down, I'll just forget about it. And so something that can help kind of adding on to your priority list is once you make your priorities, make sure that if you've got your number one being spiritual, number two being health, number three being business, then make sure that you're spending the correct amount of time on each of those. And so if you're, those are your top three, but you're spending an hour a week on all three of those, then something's mm-hmm. going on. And what I do is I have like note cards that I write down everything that I need to do on. Like whenever something comes up and I need to do, I write it down and then you kind of cross it off and you do it, which feels good. And then something else I'm actually testing out starting this week and I'm going to actually take my calendar instead of just having a meeting here and I got a call here, I'm literally going to calendar everything. So from this time, I'm going to be working on writing. This time, I'm going to be doing a fall on Friday or planning for fall on Friday or whatever it is you're doing. You can probably take this dates off your priority list and be like, all right, so my number one priority is quit my job. So I'm going to spend three hours a night just brainstorming ideas to quit my job or actually figure out how you're going to quit your job. I'm going to be focusing on that because at least for me, if I don't write it down or if I don't have it kind of somewhere and don't have kind of an external source to kind of be my not even my mentor, but my guide, mm-hmm. I won't do it. So personality types are different. For some people, they can just keep it all in their head and just do it. Some people need to write all of it down. I'm more towards the latter end of the spectrum. I don't think I'm all the way there, but use the calendar app, write this thing down, and then either end of the day or end of the week, go back and be like, all right, how much time did I spend on each of my different priorities? And if you didn't spend enough time on those, then make sure the next week, I'm gonna start doing it every Monday morning, I did it this morning. Every morning, just kind of schedule out your week, schedule your priorities, and then go from there. And then I guess one piece of advice that who I, who I got this from said, don't be a slave to it. It's kind of like a guide. Don't be so intense with it that if you skip it, you like get so angry at yourself. It's just supposed to be a guide, and it's supposed to be an improvement from where you are right now, not perfection. Yes. I love the one level extra. So to summarize, there is no balance. It's what you yeah. prioritize in your life, and identify if you need to have a tracking system in order to do that. I schedule out my days in my calendar as well. From this is when I'm going to exercise to we're meeting to weekly calls with people. So absolutely. Those are all the questions we have. Again, I really like that last question. That will be kind of hard. Just some last miscellaneous things. Want to mention the, the, the conference one more time? Sure. Yeah. Best ever conference. We have early bird ticket on sale for another month or so. Actually, up to Halloween, I believe. Mm-hmm. But that is while supplies last. We do have a limited amount of them. Besteverconference.com. It's in February. Awesome. And then finally, to wrap up, please again subscribe to the podcast and iTunes and leave a review for the opportunity to be the review of the week. This week, we've got this Jothan B, it looks like. Jotham. No, Jotham. Jotham? <laughs> Jotham, Jotham. Yeah, Jotham B. And he says, Joe's podcast has been extremely helpful for my wife and I. We have listened to somewhere in the range of 150 to 200 episodes. Always learning something new. It is amazing that he finds time to run it daily. It also has no fluff as advertised. Really does a great job of bringing in informative and diverse guests who bring value quickly. 
Lake is under 30 minutes. My wife and I just started investing in small multifamilies, finding an off-market deal in, I think it's Massachusetts. Congrats. Just this week, for sale by owner. Yeah, congrats. This podcast helped that happen. We hope to build our portfolio up and eventually leverage that to get into commercial properties in the 10 to 50 unit range or larger if possible. Plan to keep listening. Bravo. Nice work on that off-market deal. And once you get that closed, then reach out to info at joefairless.com and we'll bring you on as an interview guest to hear about that deal and how you got it. And thanks for listening, Jotham. Anything else? All good. How can Best Ever listeners get in touch with you? You guys can follow me on Facebook for now, the Studio Mix. Sweet. We were talking about it beforehand, but I was doing a podcast, the Unplugged Podcast, and I was doing YouTube videos. I might start doing that again, but if you want to check that out, I got some older videos you can look at on YouTube, the Unplugged Podcast, and then if you want to subscribe, keep a lookout for a couple of videos in the next couple of weeks. Sounds good. Best of listeners, thanks for listening as always, and we'll talk to you soon. Are you an investor who self-manages, talks to your residents, collects checks, and handles all the day-to-day tasks? Well, there's a better way, best ever listener, and guess what? That better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One, the landlord helper, will have conversations over the phone with your residents whenever there's an issue, and the residents can pay you directly. So schedule your free trial and 30 minute session today at mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. The Target Market Insights podcast is just that a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at targetmarketinsights.com. That's targetmarketinsights.com.